Welcome to the Unlocked Crypto Podcast. This podcast is not financial advice. It's meant for entertainment purposes only. These are just the opinions of a couple of Bramble and Rex. Al, welcome back to episode 11. Holy cow, uh, already on the 11th episode of Unblocking Crypto. Um, so before we get started, maybe you can tell everybody where we are since we're actually face-to-face for the first time so far. Yeah, thanks to uh, my friend Braden, who's got some space here uh, in town. Uh, he set us up with like podcasting equipment that, uh, I don't know, it feels like a different experience this time <laughs> instead of just looking at a screen in my uh in my house we're uh we're sitting at a table across from each other that's really good yeah so i'm excited about today i know um we're planning on talking a little bit about mining uh specifically bitcoin mining and maybe even some of the staking stuff before we do that let's talk a little bit about some of the positive news and there's been a lot of stuff in the last week so i know we're not going to hit on all of it but i'll let you start and then i'll jump in from there yeah so uh bitcoin news it's tough to go uh a week or two without talking about michael saylor um so he went to uh, a bank, Silvergate Bank, I believe, which is a Federal Reserve Associated Bank, like FDIC, like a normal bank, right? Like a like an old person's bank. Uh, used Bitcoin as collateral, got $205 million, bought $205 million worth of Bitcoin. That's crazy. Uh, so this is, uh, this is like old news. This, he does this all the time, seemingly whether it's a convertible notes, he finds every way he can to finance more Bitcoin purchases, which is just, it shows huge conviction on his part that he, he just knows he's right. Um, oh, if you have that sort of conviction, that's nice. Uh, I don't. I don't know that. I, I just feel like, you know, there, there may be a trap door I'm not seeing. I don't know. Um, but his point is, and I, and I think it's pretty true, uh, it's hard to find someone with 100 hours worth of research into Bitcoin that is bearish on Bitcoin. Um, and most of the people that are like, well, he's crazy, he's going to go bankrupt, this guy's an idiot, he's, he's sacrificing the jobs of everybody in his business. They've never really done any research on Bitcoin. They read some headlines, they think it's rat poison, and they move on. Um, somebody actually made a point that... Uh, most of the people that are against Bitcoin are older, so their time is limited. So they're not putting in a hundred hours into learning about something new that's not going to benefit them. There's like, there's like an evolutionary reason for them not to care because they're not going to be around for ten years to see it. So that was kind of an interesting piece because sometimes it doesn't make sense. And we we're in a small town. Uh, this is Rome, Georgia. There's thirty thousand people. We have little crypto meetups and and people get together. And most people are young, but we've got, we've had some like retiree aged people. Um, so there's there are some people that are just into new stuff, but for the most part, it's it's kind of a younger crowd. Um, and if you put in the time and, and energy to learn about Bitcoin, it's kind of tough to invest in other stuff. I had that conversation with somebody yesterday. I said, the more I learn, the more I can't invest in anything else. It just doesn't make sense to me. Right. And so and we had a conversation with Braden who set us up here today and he's like yeah i'm gonna uh try to get a loan to run this mining operation and uh i've done stuff where i mean anytime i buy bitcoin i'm not paying down a note on my primary residence i'm not paying down a note on investment property or car payment or you know i'm, I'm making a choice to effectively finance bitcoin um i have in the past gotten a loan and bought bitcoin with it um, I don't know that I'd recommend that because it feels weird. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, so I'm 40. So I grew up in a, in a, in the eighties interest rates are high. Everybody is saying buy buy the most expensive house you can afford and pay it off and just live in it and don't accumulate debt because debt was crazy difficult. Well, if you're 24 right now and you're just getting into your career, debt's not so bad at, at two, 3%, uh, and inflation at eight you can you can get into it so uh, everything's up for grabs like there are no rules on on how to how to manage debt anymore um you really need to figure it out it will smoke you if you don't get the math right and you in if you're financing something to buy an asset that you think will appreciate and then it doesn't you're in trouble because now you own the you owe the debt and the assets you purchased with it have depreciated and you don't have 
you can't just liquidate those assets to pay off your debt. So you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. Make sure you know what you're doing. Um, I don't know that I would say I'd recommend leveraging yourself into a Bitcoin position. Um, but if you are in a situation where your assets, like if you've got hard assets like real estate or stocks and they've shot up, uh, getting a loan against some appreciated assets, I mean, it, it, you're, you, you've already made your money, so you could do that. Um, I don't, I don't, I think you, I think Bitcoin forces you to learn a lot of things. And it, one of the things is, what's, what's my real risk tolerance? How long am I actually looking, you know, is this a five-year deal? Everything seems short-term. Like everything seems, people want to make a bunch of money in a few months. And Bitcoin's like, no, I'm, this is like a five-year minimum play, maybe 10. I got, I, I bought this one for my kids. <laughs> like it's going to, I'm going to give it to them when they turn 18. Well, I think that's the perception that a lot of people have is that crypto millionaires are made every single day. And it's all these people that all of a sudden they just bought a little bit of crypto and they're millionaires overnight. And I don't know very many people that did that. It was There's not a lot of overnight successes. It's a hold and wait. And at some point it might work out, but there's still a lot of people that can't deal with the emotional roller coaster that is crypto in general. Right? Oh, yeah. I, like it's not easy to hold on to Bitcoin for years and years and watch things drop and then and, and watch it go up and not sell it. Um, there's a saying in like uh, in entrepreneur world that's you you work as hard as you can every day and then eventually you're an overnight success and it's like the same thing in Bitcoin it's like you hold on through all these different things over a long period of time and then you meet somebody and you're like yeah I'm into Bitcoin I got in you know 2016 2017 I'm just doing all right and they're like man you're so lucky like that you're just instant millionaire you're like nope nope it, it not that easy. It's really not that easy, especially when you're holding one thing and something else spikes and you didn't, you miss that one. And then you try to get ahead of it and try to front run the next micro cap coin that's going to shoot up. It, 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 it's not easy. So, um, you know, Bitcoin will force you to figure out, uh, how, what your risk level is and what your time horizon is. So that's, that's probably enough chat on, uh, on, on Michael Saylor and what it means to finance Bitcoin. <laughs> Um, go go ahead. You got some uh, some altcoin stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I know one of the things we talked about last week was Ethereum, um, and the there's, there seems to be a lot more volume of searches going on with Ethereum and the triple happening. So they they hit a new search high on Google's trend searches for triple happening. Ethereum's jumped up like twenty percent in the past week, which has been pretty amazing. And and one of the reasons I think the the big reason that I see is Right now, Ethereum is about 30 transactions per second. If everything goes well in June with this ETH 2.0, that transaction speed goes to 100,000 tra transactions per second, which is a huge jump. Um, and there's a ton of other benefits too. So that's exciting to see. Um, and then the other thing, when you're talking about Ethereum, OpenSea has been pretty much Ethereum only for this past couple of years, whatever it's been, a year and a half. They are now going to start um, listing Solana NFTs on OpenSea starting in April. So that's pretty exciting to see Solana gaining, gaining some traction, um, and hopefully it'll be a good thing for that ecosystem as, as well. Ethereum has definitely been the, the big one there. Um, and then one of the other things, the last thing uh, from a, an altcoin perspective, I've been a big fan of the whole zero-knowledge roll-ups that are happening in the background that are still years away. Polygon has just released their plans for a zero knowledge proof for identity. So that would really be intriguing to um, guarantee that the person that is making that transaction is really that person. So it's one of the many things that probably needs to happen to make this just a safer ecosystem in general. So. Yeah. Yeah, The it feels like things are heating up again in altcoin world. Like, it seems like they're just, the NFTs hit and it was crazy and it, like, there was things popping, like Solana hit, Polkadot, like all these things were going, 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 uh, especially like last summer and prior to that. And then it kind of chilled out. And, it hadn't been, and now it's starting to warm up. Like, as price appreciates, the news starts popping and, and it just gets to be more exciting and like more things, more news gets released. Um, Another thing I saw, and this kind of flows into our, our mining conversation, so I think, I think it'll work out, was uh, Janet Yellen, 
who has been a, a pretty staunch uh, opponent to to Bitcoin and crypto. Uh, again, I mean, her time horizon is probably not too long. You know, um, she she's the one who was on screen when the guy held up the yellow notepad in the background that said buy Bitcoin at a congressional hearing. I mean, she's she's uh, she's kind of been a white whale type of type of person uh there's there's probably a handful of bitcoiners that are like that but everybody's against bitcoin until they're for it like it's very hard to find somebody that from the first time they ever heard about bitcoin they were in and they were reading they were all over it michael saylor said that like in 2013 he thought it was a waste um and now he's 500 percent invested into bitcoin so uh janet yellen has had she did an interview with CNBC and they got into crypt talking about crypto and um, she she was much looser just her tone and her approach um, she she mentioned the executive order had tasked her and and others to uh, to look into cryptocurrency what it means what the you know drawbacks pros and cons uh, and she still ha she she actually used the term a little bit of skepticism, which is the opposite of where she used to be, which was all skepticism. <laughs> um, and you know, regarding financial stability, the same old stuff too. It's like illicit purchases, which is uh, you're gonna have to eliminate cash if you're gonna want to eliminate illegal purchases. Um, you know, it's it, that, I think that's a really weird uh, thing to be afraid of when you're talking about Bitcoin. So then she rolled into talking about the benefits, how innovations in payments can be healthy. Um, for, so for her to use positive words while she's talking about Bitcoin, she seems to be super measured in the way that she speaks. And, I, and so for her to be half positive about Bitcoin this quickly after being fully negative about Bitcoin, it definitely makes it feel like there's a shift at the top um, the, elect the executive order was mostly positive, um, and everybody seems to be talking about uh, regulations are good for to generate an environment where people can operate safely. And honestly, it's necessary for these businesses and, and institutions to invest in cryptocurrency and Bitcoin because... If they're not going to, they're using other people's money. They can't jump in. I mean, you, you have to be a fiduciary. You have to be responsible. You can't just throw into things and then, oh, oops, the regulation ch winds changed and we lost 80%. So, you know, that's not, that's not being a good steward of people's money. So they're not able to do it. Um, so between Janet Yellen starting to soften on Bitcoin, that's like pretty soon it's going to be really tough to be against Bitcoin. Well, I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago that you should be skeptical of almost everything you invest in until you understand what's going on. So it's exciting to see kind of a 180 from her uh, over the past year or so on, on, on where her views are. So, yeah, that, that's exciting. I'm, I'm hopeful that it'll continue to go in the right direction for sure. Um, but let's let's change this and actually go into the mining conversation. And, and I know I want to dive into Bitcoin mining because you're actually doing some of that now. Um, but before we step into the mining space, let's maybe keep it a little simpler and talk about what the difference is between proof of work, which is what Bitcoin mining is using. And then we'll, t we'll t touch base on like proof of stake, which is what a lot of things are moving to. Um, and maybe some of the, the pros and cons and we'll kind of go into that. Yeah, so Bitcoin, when it first started, you know, they, they tried to figure out a way to introduce Bitcoin into the protocol in a way where anybody can do it. It's not manufactured. It can't be, there's no copy-paste. You can't mess with it. Um, and so, you know, Bitcoin wasn't, is not the first cryptocurrency attempt. I mean, I, I, people mention that like, oh, the first one's never going to be the best. It's like there's that then you haven't done your research. So w the way that it was decided was, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a, a string. We're going to cryptographically process it into a, a, a new string. And then computers have to guess 
the old string based on the cryptographically coded new string. So it's effectively guess a number, right? Guess a number between one and 10,000. If there's a couple people guessing that number, it won't take that long. Um, in the beginning, the Bitcoin reward was 50 Bitcoin for each time you got that number right. Which was about every 10 minutes. Well, early on, it was the the block chain. The block times were wacky because there was only a few people doing, it and it was crazy. So, it, it, Bitcoin price, Bitcoin everything in that first early days is really not helpful to look at. <clears throat> Pardon me. So, what happens is more and more people get on it. More and more people are guessing the number, trying to trying to guess, trying to get it right to get the block rewards. And as that occurs you get uh, shorter and shorter times, right? If you have 5,000 people guessing a number between one and 100,000, it doesn't take very long. So every two weeks, the Bitcoin uh, code determines how, if the, if the blocks are being guessed too quickly, the target's 10 minutes, if they're being guessed too quickly, that means the it's not hard enough. So there's a difficulty adjustment that if, if it's, Nine minutes and 30 seconds, they make it a little bit tougher. For the next two weeks, they monitor it. If it goes, like if, if we have a thing where like China bans the mining and so the, a lot of the people guessing the number are, stop guessing, they're out. Um, then they say, whoa, we're at, we're at 11 minute blocks. We need to make this easier. They make it a little easier to get the closer and closer to 10 minutes. So every, every two weeks you're adjusting. Um, so what happened was, Early on in Bitcoin, in order to, to guess this number, uh, you could do it on a laptop. You could do it anywhere. It's, it wasn't it was was not very difficult. Um, Bitcoin was not very valuable. There were not very many transactions in each block. So, fifty Bitcoins worth you know a couple dollars. You're spending a couple dollars worth of electricity uh, to mine Bitcoin. It's it's that's how it works. And then over time. Every 210,000 blocks, which at 10 minutes makes it about every four years, um, the, the mining reward gets cut in half. So you go from 50 Bitcoin as a reward plus the transaction fees for all the transactions in the block to 25. So you run that for four years. Do it again, it goes to 12 and a half. <clears throat> These are called halvenings. Uh, that occurs... And then there seems to be a correlation between when the block the block reward gets cut in half and an appreciation in price. There is a theory that there's a, a stock-to-flow scarcity that drives up price. Um, essentially, miners aren't mining as much Bitcoin. There's less Bitcoin coming into the system. As more people want to get into Bitcoin, there's less Bitcoin being newly mined. So the price appreciates because most people that hold Bitcoin like to hold Bitcoin. If they didn't, they wouldn't have bought it. So they're not eager to sell it. You do have traders. So if there are more people that want to buy and less people that want to sell, the buyers have to increase the price in order to convince the sellers to sell their Bitcoin. If there's less and less Bitcoin coming in, there's less and less people eager to sell Bitcoin. Miners, um, up until recently, typically sold their Bitcoin. They would spend the money to mine the Bitcoin. They buy the equipment, which instead of laptops, they've gotten more and more difficult. So now you have specialized mining equipment that is energy intensive, that's noisy, it produces heat. It's, um, it's, it's pretty industrial grade computer equipment. Um, so they've got high capital costs. So what they would do is they would sell, mine the Bitcoin, sell the Bitcoin for dollars or whatever local currency, and then they would pay off their electric bill, they'd pay off their the loans on their mining equipment and all that. Well, <clears throat> like everything, like 0% interest rate, you know, people are able to get super low interest rates. Um, miners were like, yeah, I'll take a 2.5% rate and I'll buy a million dollars worth of mining equipment or $5 million or 10 or $20 million worth of mining equipment and mine Bitcoin like crazy. And I barely have to sell any of it because I've got low interest rate. I'm depreciating my hardware. 
Uh, I've got an interest expense that's tax deductible. And I've got cash coming in. And man, I think Bitcoin's going to $500,000. So I'm going to hold on to as much Bitcoin as I can. I'm going to sell just enough to, to break even on, um, on the mining. And so the mining reward is getting cut in half and steadily decreasing while miners are selling less and less Bitcoin into exchanges. Simultaneously, more and more people are hearing about Bitcoin, more and more people are getting into Bitcoin, more people are seeing the value of Bitcoin because uh, merchants are tired of paying 3%, people in Ukraine are crossing the border with seed phrases and being able to transfer their wealth. You've got uh, El Salvadorians accepting Bitcoin from the United States without having to pay Western Union 20%. You got speculative people that are investing in Bitcoin because they have money and they want more money. Like, it doesn't really matter why people get into Bitcoin. It matters that they do. Less Bitcoin comes into the market through the mining protocol. Less Bitcoin's available for sale. The price goes up because buyers want to get in and sellers don't want to sell. That's essentially how it works. Um, so today, we're kind of be focused on this mining piece because... Most people that get into Bitcoin understand the computers are, are doing a complex math problems. I hear that all the time. Computers do complex math problems. One of the computer gets the math problem right. That uh, computer is rewarded your, uh, the mining reward, which currently is 6.5 Bitcoin. 6.25 Bitcoin, because it went 50, 25, 12.5, 6.25. So we're about... Two and two years and a few months away from that going to get cutting in half again to be in just over three Bitcoin every 10 minutes entering the market. So you've got uh, you've got a situation where these miners are everybody's getting into mining. Like I mean, I'm I'm mining. We're talking to somebody else who's mining. Um, a lot of people are into it because one. It, it, some people just like to do stuff, right? Just going on exchange, buying Bitcoin, and that's it. That's not a that's not a fun hobby. That's not you, you don't feel it's not tangible. So some people get into mining for that. Some people will get into it on a big scale where they're they're mining and loaning different coins and they're mining Bitcoin, borrowing money from other people, paying them interest back, and hoarding the Bitcoin. Um, but it's there's there's a lot of different ways to play the mining piece. And so that's, I would say, the summary of Bitcoin mining, which is proof of work mining, meaning you are doing work in order to generate the hash rate to guess the problem um, so that you get mining rewards. Well, and the whole, maybe even to step back a little bit higher from that, the whole goal of mining is to help secure the network. So you have all these miners that are trying to continue to add new blocks and as long as they continue to um, solve these problems they get the rewards from adding the blocks and they want this to be something that lasts for a long time so they're going to try to keep everybody else honest right? correct so yeah in each block is all the transactions that are in th that block for the 10 minutes so each time you do a Bitcoin transaction, there's a small transaction fee that you pay. So the miners get that mining reward, and they also get the transaction fees in that block. So if you're the miner that wins the block, you say, all right, here's all the transactions that are in this block. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it on the blockchain. Then the nodes verify that all of the transactions in that block agree. If you had a bad actor that said, I'm going to put my miners in, and every time I win a block, I'm going to give myself 100 Bitcoin. In order to do that one right now, you'd have to have a ton of miners just to win the block by yourself. Um, as mining has gotten more and more difficult, mining pools have arrived. So if you're just a hobby miner in your basement, you would ne likely never win the block because you are one one hundred millionth of the mining uh, hash rate which is really the mining power so you have mining pools it's like if you're in an office lottery 
hey, everybody, pitching 20 bucks. If we hit the 500 million, we split it up evenly. It's the same with mining pools. Everybody plug into the mining pool. If you've got one miner that then, and we've got 50,000, you get one fifty thousandth of whatever we mine every day. Um, and so you've got tons of miners out there. If you have a bad actor that says, hey, I'm going to mine, I'm going to get my, my own uh, reward. Every time I do, I'm going to sneak myself 100 Bitcoin. Well, the nodes verify that that's not possible. But the miners and the large number of miners, it's like security theater. Like you don't even try because it's so expensive to create enough miners that you it's not worth it. And then even if you did invest the huge number of, of uh, miners that you'd need to purchase and, and to operate, you would likely not get away with it because the nodes would say, look, these Bitcoin, these are not Bitcoin that have been spent. These aren't valid Bitcoin transactions. So it's that, that's the key to Bitcoin's, you know, Bitcoin's the tank in, in cryptocurrency. It, it's very difficult. It's built for security. That's why it's every 10 minutes and not super fast. That's why everything is verified. Everything is uh, secure. That's the whole point of Bitcoin is you can trust it. Or you don't have to trust it. Everything's verified. There, it's just it's the math. It's the code. You, trust is the improper word. It, it, you verify everything, so you don't have to trust anything. So, so lots of large transactions happen on Bitcoin, but it does almost doesn't make sense for you to go buy a cup of coffee from Starbucks because usually you're gonna it's gonna take three or four confirmations on the blockchain to make sure that that transaction went through which at 10 minutes a block, you're talking about 30 to 40 minutes, and you're not going to sit there and wait 40 minutes for your cup of coffee uh, on something like that. So hence the reasons for a lot of other, I don't want to say competing blockchains, but other technologies out there to to help offset the need to, to speed up and have more day-to-day -day transactions. Right? And maybe we'll, we'll segue real quick into proof of stake, maybe talk a little bit about what proof of stake is, and then... What I'd love to do is talk a little bit more about how to actually mine and what that means. Because yep. it's it's easy to say, oh yeah, someone is mining, but it's also, it would be nice to know what does that really entail and, and what do you have to do. So um, first off, let's, let's talk about proof of stake. Proof of work is really trying to solve an equation and you're using all this computing power to do that. Proof of stake is almost the opposite of that to where you're not requiring a lot of energy to be used, you're just backing up the network um, by staking more of that token onto the network. So you, you're in essence saying, I believe in this, so I'm gonna put a bunch of my uh, asset, so whether it's Ethereum or whatever, I'm gonna stake it onto the system and say that I'll help make sure the system is doing everything that it needs to um, and if something goes wrong, then all my money that's staked, you can take that out of what I've staked to fix what I've made a mistake on. Is that, that kind of the way you understand it? Yeah, that, that's my understanding. Essentially, um, rather than mining and protecting the ecosystem with, with miners, you're letting the largest holders in that cryptocurrency Say, look, we're the most invested. We have the most to lose if this thing fails. We in, we protect the network, and we're rewarded for protecting the network by effectively like interest payments uh, where new cryptocurrency comes into the protocol, and it gets divvied up based on the amount of whatever that cryptocurrency is. You're getting, the more you have, the more you earn. Um, also the more voting rights you have. So there's some obvious, like, give and take. And it, uh, the differences are very obvious. You know, it's, it's almost like, well, yeah, if you look at who makes the most money in U.S. dollar terms, it's the people that have the most U.S. dollars. Uh, so it's, it, in Bitcoiner world, it's just so similar to traditional finance that they, it's, it's kind of rejectable. It's like all the way back to like the libertarian roots of Bitcoin. It's like, it just doesn't feel right. Um, whereas like anybody can mine anything, right? Anybody can mine Bitcoin. You, you, can, you can plug in a USB miner and be a part of it. 
when it comes to proof of stake, like the Giants, the Giants win. If you got a bunch of money, you can just have a bunch of money, and then you can have a bunch of voting rights, and you get a bunch more money, uh, in, assuming you consider that cryptocurrency to be money. So, um, but it gets the environmentalist off your back. Uh, Bitcoin mining requires a significant amount of energy. We, there's, I'm not convinced that it's uh, non-valuable use of energy. I'm not convinced that I believe anybody should tell anybody what a, a good use of energy is. Um, that's a weird one. Like uh, Bitcoin, the Bitcoin network, the Bitcoin mining network uses less energy than, than clothes dryers, which wind and solar can dry clothes. Um, so if you're like a true environmentalist, like let's talk about what you, how you dry your clothes. Um, so that's, there's, the moral use of power is kind of a weird um, rabbit hole to go down because I think everybody, especially in America, uses power in super wasteful ways. Um, Bitcoin could be justified as very not wasteful. Uh, if you've never done any research, you might view it as very wasteful. You might view all of cryptocurrency as very wasteful. There's a lot of time and energy, like human energy, that's being put into cryptocurrency and uh, in the whole system. And that's, I mean, yeah, you got to feed all those humans that are coding and thinking and talking. I mean, there's a lot of energy that's being consumed. So, um, but nobody cares about that, right? The ESG movement cares about the surface level energy consumption. Um, proof of stake is very easy to, to convince people that it uses less power. And because of that, it seems to be favorable. Um, time's gonna tell, uh, in my opinion. Like, I think that you can, uh, you can just come in with money and you can say, all right, well, I own 51% of all of this cryptocurrency. Uh, I'm gonna just tell it what to do. Um, so I, there's some problems with proof of stake. There's some problems with proof of work. Um, you know, there's no free lunch. But, uh, but yeah, if, uh, proof of stake, I feel like, is a lot more simple. Um, it's, a lot, it's easier to understand. And it's a lot easier to get into. I mean, if, you're, if, you're, if you buy Solana or Polkadot and you go to Kraken and you say, okay, well, I, I'm going to buy this. This is a five-year play. I think it's, I, I like this cryptocurrency. I'd like to stake this. And then a couple times a week, you just get more Polkadot. You just get more Solana or... or any of these cryptocurrencies that are staking Ethereum, and uh, that's simple. Like mining Bitcoin is not very simple. Yeah, so that's a great point. I mean, I think we could we'll, we'll talk about staking maybe here in a second because it is it's almost like hit the easy button, put it somewhere and you get rewards back. Bitcoin mining is not hitting an easy button at all. To to mine for Bitcoin, it takes quite a bit of work. Um, so let's talk about what you're doing for mining, right? Because uh, I think it's an interesting story of of how you even get into Bitcoin mining and what it takes to do it and all the moving pieces behind it. Because staking, you can pretty much just sit behind a computer, stake some coins, and you don't have to touch it anymore at all. You're done. Right. And and one thing to mention about staking is there's a validator component that helps to protect this system and make sure every, everything's on the up and up. Um, but it's interesting because to be a validator is very expensive and very difficult. Whereas on a Bitcoin network, to be a node is the easy, cheap uh, software to run. You can run it on a, on a, on a desktop. That's not a big deal. It doesn't take a lot. Um, maybe, maybe some memory, uh, but not a lot of processing power. So that's, that's just to wrap up on the, on the, um, the kind of the equivalencies of, of mining versus staking. But yes, Bitcoin mining is, it takes, uh, it takes some research. Um, so I got a buddy here in town and uh, I met him years ago, probably like 2017, 18. So I, I'm at a birthday party. The kids are like four or five years old. So they're crazy inside a room. So the dads are like mulling around outside at this bowling alley. And this guy's carrying a book around and it's like a Bitcoin book. And I'm like, hey man, <laughs> how's that book? And so that launched us into Bitcoin conversation. And so that's five beers ago or whatever. So we've talked ever since. Well, he is, he's, he's an interesting cat. 
and he runs a small business in town, uh, and he just likes Bitcoin in, in every way possible. Um, he views it, he's very philosophical about it. And anyway, so he acquired a handful of, uh, of ASICs that were kicked out of China. The guy in Colorado or Montana bought a couple truckloads and then sold them via Twitter, and, this, and my buddy <laughs> bought a handful. Like, hey, man, what, it, this is awesome. like Bitcoin. The, uh, Bitcoin's weird, man. <laughs> this is one of those weird ones. So anyway, man, so he's, like I said, he's a pretty smart guy. Um, he's not super technical. And so uh, he had an electrician wire up the, uh, in his office so that he could plug them in. Plugged them in, they ran for a little bit, and then they stopped working. And uh, so he's talking to me about it, and I was like, well, you know, let me take a look. I, got, I can take them apart and kind of trace them and figure it out. And so I was like, I looked at his setup, I took them home, figured it out. Like, they're 240 volts, plugged them into 110 you fried the power supply units. Got a new power supply units. So now we got these miners that work. Okay. I'm like, all right. I need to get 240 volt power, which is what you plug your, you know, it's a dryer. You, you know, it's it's not it's not a wall socket that you plug a TV in. It's a, it's a dryer socket. Um, and so I'm like, all right. So then then I'm then I'm off, right? Then I'm having to research and figure out mining because now I'm. He's like, look. I screwed it up once. You just run with it. You can do whatever you want. Like I, already, I thought I fried them. So they're, you know, whatever you can do, just go for it. We'll figure it out later. On as far as like splitting up whatever Bitcoin rewards we can win. So anyway, man, I launch into internet research and li looking at message boards and trying to figure stuff out and do it so I don't blow, I don't burn my house down. <laughs> you know, like electricity. I'm, I'm a, I'm a colorblind engineer, and so. Uh, Anything with wires is usually color coded, and I've always been turned off because I'm always like, I'm going to screw this up, and we're going to, I'm going to either electrocute myself or uh, I'm going to burn something to the ground, or I'm going to just destroy this equipment. So I've never really been into into that. So now I have to be because I'm like, New Year's resolution, we're going to mine. Like, great. Uh, so what I figure out is I can, I need 240 volts. I've got some rental properties that are vacant. Uh, I'll figure out how to make that work. Two, I've got all this heat. I've got to figure out what to do with this heat because these things crank out a ton of heat. Uh, three, I've got to figure out how to hook it up to a... I've got to figure out how to tell the miner to talk to the mining pool and open an account on the mining pool, which is very easy. Um, so got the miners, wired the... Uh, got 240-volt cables, power cables, uh, to plug in the miners because they look just like a power cable for uh, for a desktop. So that's why that's how he got in trouble. He had he had he was like, oh, I know what this looks like. Plug it in, plug it in, and then it fried. Um, so anyway, so you you got to figure out all right how how am I going to get rid of this heat? Well, I had a, it was winter and I had a um, a rental house that was vacant and I was doing I was painting the cabinets, and so I was like, well, I'll just turn the heat off and I'll just use the Bitcoin heat to warm the rental house. So I wired them up, plugged them into a dryer plug, um, and used an old cell phone and a hotspot to create some internet access because it doesn't require, you're not using a lot of bandwidth, you're just using a lot of power. Um, so the Bitcoin miner's running, uh, it's making the house warm enough so that the paint will dry, and you know, it's kind of a win-win situation. Um, mining rewards are starting to click in, uh, so we joined Slush Pool. Uh, it was really easy to connect. It, you have to, you have to, you have to figure out how to effectively tell the miner how to connect to Slush Pool. That's the part that I've struggled with. It's if you're good at like networking, if you can like, oh, I just need this this uh, device to talk to that device. You kind of have to know the IP addresses, log into the miner directly, and kind of tell it the address that it needs to discuss with slush pool um so yeah i ran that for like a month and then that i sold that house and then, then i'm like okay well now what and i still need 240 well it's still still cold so i moved to my basement i unwire my air conditioner because it's still winter and wire up the miner and put it in my basement to keep my basement a little bit warm so i do that for a month and then we hit like 70 something degrees and my wife's like 
this is enough's enough. I got to turn the AC on. I'm like, so then I started asking around, and I find a guy who's into crypto. Who I actually I, I sold. I bought a house and I sold it back to him like a year later. And when I sold it to him, we were talking about how stupid it was that we had to wait for this wire. He had like some kind of thing on his side. Um, He's like, hey, just call Tracy at the bank, and she can do this and that. And we were sitting there, and he's like, I can't wait until I can buy a house in crypto. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I could sell you a house in crypto. I'd love to sell you a house in crypto. We could, you know, that'd be awesome. Um, so anyway, I, I get into discussion with him, and he bought a laundromat. And I'm like, let's mine Bitcoin in your laundromat. <laughs> So he was a little bit skeptical because he's like he's in, he's not really into Bitcoin. He's been into um, into some other altcoins and stuff. But he's like, come and check it out. Let's see. And it was like perfect setup, man. There's holes in the wall where they used to have dryers, so you got air in, air out. So I can suck in cold air from outside. I can blow hot air out the wall. Uh, he's got tons of. He's got a whole panel that was abandoned uh, because they put in all new dryers. Um, so I had a whole panel to work with. So I had power. I could get rid of the heat. And then I kind of built a box to insulate the noise. And I didn't want to use his air-conditioned air. So I was sucking air in from the outside. So I just kind of sealed everything up. And it's in kind of a utility room. So the noise doesn't matter. So I'm, we're mining, now we're mining Bitcoin in a laundromat. And it's kind of, it's kind of a hilarious situation. Uh, the way it all worked out. So, so that's my mining experience. Um, it's, uh, I'd say, it's not an easy thing to dabble in. Like, it's not like, oh, uh, you know, like, like you said, with staking, you click a button. Oh, now I'm a staker. Like, if you're mining, like, you need to know your stuff pretty decently. Um, you know, we're, uh, the the miners we have are old. They're effective. Like, they're they're probably obsolete. But you need to know how much how much you're paying for power. How much power you're using, how much your expected rewards are based on, you know, how much hash rate, how much how much computing power you're you're putting into the system, um, and the, you know, for us, like you know, like I said, my buddy's philosophical about Bitcoin. He wants raw Bitcoin that's never been spent. That was that's what he wanted. He want he wanted two things: raw Bitcoin that has no KYC information. That's like he could just this just Bitcoin that nobody knows about. And he thinks that's cool. And the second thing is he wants to mine Bitcoin before the U.S. government does. <laughs> it, he wants to, like, China, the, these are miners that China kicked out, and now I'm mining Bitcoin with them in the United States. And just the geopolitical piece to it, and it, like, it's perceived by a lot of Bitcoiners that China has made a huge mistake, like a burning the ships mistake. Uh, by ejecting the mine, Bitcoin mining out of out of the country, and so he's like, "I'm using Chinese miners to mine Bitcoin," and he just thinks it's super cool. Uh, so that you know, like that's the motivation. Um, these are these are kind of older. They're they're Dragon Mint T ones. So like, if in, if anybody's listening that's into mining, they're gonna be like, "Oh, these are garbage," <laughs> but they are they run and they work and they're uh, you know we're we're sitting in a in a place right now and there's a whatever it is, a S19 Pro mining Bitcoin in here, that's one of those, is all, and it's like eight times the, the power of, of one of ours. But, you know, that's just, that's, uh, you're just in it, and we're in it not as in a big of a way as, as some other people, and that's fine. So it's definitely more of the kind of that purist. You, you want to help the network out and create that backbone that survives forever. But from a, a, a dollars and cents perspective, I mean, I know it's an old miner, but what do you see as in terms of return from something like that? Is it is it five dollars a month? Is it fifty dollars a month? So that's where things get tricky. Um, so I think that if you ran a mining business, it you could make it work pretty well because the hardware's taxed. You could depreciate the hardware if you just created an LLC, a mining LLC. You buy the hardware, you could depreciate that. I probably. I believe that's over three years. All your power consumption is tax deductible. Um, your Bitcoin, you're effectively dollar cost averaging your Bitcoin every every time. You know, Slush Pool is winning um, block rewards 
multiple times a day. Sometimes, you know, not as much, sometimes more. There is a piece of luck to it. There's actually a metric they have called like 10 block luck, 50 block luck, 200 block luck. So, you know, 10, 10 blocks, the last 10 blocks, that's 10 minutes. So the last 100 minutes, like they're either overachieving or underachieving based on what they expect to win. Uh, so you can kind of get an, a, a feel on if you're if you had a good day, if you had a lucky day where you guessed, uh, or if someone in the pool guessed um, the the uh, the Bitcoin math problem, difficult math problem that everybody talks about. Um, so, but you can kind of see it over time. There's just an average, you know, and based on the the number of machines you're running and the hash rate, you know, computing power that you're putting in. You can kind of gauge that, um, and so I, and a, a hugely important piece is what's what's your cost of power, right? How you know, at my house, like plugging in my equipment, my car, whatever, it's nine cents a kilowatt hour. Um, that is, for my miners that are fairly inefficient, is is a little better than break even for me. Um, so that's not a tax deductible power. That's you know there's, uh, that's that's not how it works. But as I'm collecting Bitcoin over time, and that Bitcoin appreciates, then it gets really easy to see why people would mine Bitcoin. Um, you know, there's I sometimes I'm like I should I should just buy Bitcoin. I should just go to Coinbase Pro and buy Bitcoin or 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 Strike right and buy Bitcoin and. This is dumb, but it's kind of neat, right? There's a neatness factor. Clicking a couple buttons on your phone's not very neat, um, and you just kind of feel like you're into it a little bit, and that's good. But uh, so for us, we spend, you know, per miner, uh, we'll just say three dollars a day in electricity. Say we do three seventy-five, four dollars a day in Bitcoin. So there's a little bit of premium that we get on that. Um, looking back, I'd be I'd be curious to see. You know, because we've seen some price appreciation from when we started mining. I'd like—I'd I, I, kind of like to put together something that calculates what my actual ROI is. I just—I just haven't done it. I, I think somebody out there that could write the code to do that and just do it automatically would be—that would be valuable. It's probably out there because it is valuable. Um, but for me, I—I I just know—I know I'm in—I'm on the good side. It's not huge. Um, I think if you have these new miners that are more efficient and have more hash power, I think you're something close to a 50% discount on, on Bitcoin, like uh, oh. that as a rule of thumb. I'm probably more like a 20% discount on Bitcoin, uh, give or take. So, but you're also dollar cost averaging in all day, every day, which is kind of a neat piece as well. So um, that's kind of my mining experience. Uh, we We've talked to somebody who's, going to put together an immersion mining rig uh, here in town. And that's going to be a pretty neat project. Um, so one of the problems with mining, you need a lot of power. You end up converting a lot of that power into heat. And you got to get that heat. You have to remove that heat. So the easy solution is you throw fans. I would say the, the traditional computing solution is you throw fans on the computer and you just push the heat out into the room. And... Uh, that's fine for a computer, but these miners put out a lot of heat, and they can heat a lot of room uh, as far as cubic feet of air. And so um, the sol some s one of the solutions to that is put it in dielectric fluid and use the fluid to cool, right? Because fluid's going to have uh, a higher, you're gonna be able to transfer more heat into less fluid and be more efficient. Then you just run it through a radiator just like the cooling system on your car cool that fluid back down and then put it back in on the bottom and let uh, at, let the miners heat it up and it'll rise to the top, peel the warm fluid off the top, put it back through the radiator closed loop system and just keep keep pumping it through. So there's uh, that solves two problems. One, the heat problem, you're more efficient. You don't have to run the fans. The fans are a big energy sink. That's a lot of the power goes into running the fans. So those are no longer a part of it. You just have one small pump to you can handle however many miners you want based on the pump. Um, and it's also not as loud because the fans are the loud part. 
it's like a it sounds like a hornets like bees so uh so that's that's kind of my mining experience on a super small scale man there's some there's some guys doing some really cool stuff great american mining company is mining using flare gas there's a bunch of companies using flare gas that's probably something we could have mentioned in the news i think exxon uh, announced they're going to mine Bitcoin using their excess flare gas on a natural uh, natural gas. Well, tell people what flare glass is, too, just uh, because they're not aware. Yeah, I, sorry. I, I spent like a decade in the power industry. Um, so when you are extracting particularly natural gas, there's a lot of off-gases that are just kind of, I would say they're industrially useless. Uh, they're just, they're not, uh, the value of them is not, valuable enough to transport them to a destination where they could be used. But they're flammable, which is valuable. So what typically is called flare gas, because what they do is they just pipe that gas over to a, a stack, and then they light the top of the stack, and then you just have this candle burning, typically methane. Uh, but there's just a bunch of other gases. Um, essentially what you're doing is instead of releasing these hydrocarbons into the atmosphere where they do damage, you're oxidizing them into mostly carbon dioxide. Um, and it's not as bad for the environment. But these flare gas, it's, it's not an efficient process. Sometimes they blow out and you are just, uh, it's not very regulated. It's not, but there's no money in it, right? It's just, there's nothing there. Well, if you ha so burning stuff is valuable because you can turn things. Um, if you, when you take those industrially useless gases and ignite them and you use them to turn a gas turbine, then you can use the shaft of that turbine to turn a generator and make electricity. Um, so if you've got an unpredictable level of these off gases, you can create some storage and then size your your turbine generator combo so that you can pretty much run steady and generate electricity so that you send uh, send the electrons over to a mining rig. So what they've done, and this is this is like small footprint mobile stuff. Uh, you, you you know, anytime something turns, you need quite a bit of concrete to anchor it so that it doesn't turn up. But th this is in the scale of a of a, a natural gas wellhead or, or, you know, extracting natural gas. It's not that big of a deal. So what they do is they say, all right, uh, Mr. Natural Gas Guy, sell me that useless gas for a penny. Penny's better than nothing, and I don't, I get the EPA off my back because I'm not flare gassing, and they're not coming, you know, it's not a big deal. So there's some benefits, non-monetary benefits to the natural gas guys, and there's monetary benefits to the Bitcoin guys, because now... I'm paying nine, I'm I'm paying nine cents a kilowatt hour. They might be paying one one and a half, and then they can load up on Bitcoin miners, new efficient Bitcoin miners. All of this is tax deductible, um, you know. And then they run it and they run it, and then oh man, I mean you can. The thing about Bitcoin miners is if you if you don't want to run them anymore, you just unplug them. They don't care. You want to run them again, they plug them back in. So if something goes wrong, if it's like, all right, we're going to move on to the next um, natural gas reserve. All right, we'll move with you. Like, shut everything down. It's already modular. Pack it up, put it on trucks, roll down, and then set it all back up again. Um, and so it's it's a way for these Bitcoin miners um, to to get very inexpensive electricity. And Exxon is like, well, why are we letting them make more money off of our waste gases. We can just do this, it's freaking easy, right? We can spin up a, a gas turbine, it's not, not hard at all. And so Exxon, which is, I mean, you talk about the companies that you think wouldn't get into Bitcoin, like Exxon is probably one of them. I mean, that's, that's a stretch. But Exxon isn't, they're not like risk takers, man, you know? They're, they're, they, they dabble and and they do they're kind of forced to do these green initiatives uh, that they're not very good at and they basically a lot of their profits get sucked into these green initiative projects. But for them to be like yeah well instead of burning instead of flaring this flare gas we're going to we're going to efficiently combust it in a gas turbine 
and we're going to make Bitcoin, and then we're going to, I don't know what, I don't, I don't know if they've announced what they're going to do with it, whether they're going to sell it or save it. But like, that's neat. That's a valuable thing to do. Um, and so the other piece to this is like, Bitcoin mining is chasing the cheapest power because you're, you can, the hardware is a fixed cost. The power is really your only variable cost. So you can scale easily, but not if you have to spend a bunch of money on power. So if you can get cheap power, if you, if you finance everything at 2% and you build a wind farm, and then you use that wind farm to power Bitcoin miners, and they come on and off as wind goes up and down, great. And then if all of a sudden the grid says, hey, we need more power, we've got, it's the middle of summer, we need more power, you know, we're, we're, peak, we're at peak prices, we'll give you 20 cents a kilowatt hour for your wind, cool, we'll shut down these miners, we'll give you more power, what do the, what do the miners care? So there is a component to this that mining can help support renewables because, in theory, you would have to overproduce from wind and solar in order to get a decent... Um, steady state power generation off of these renewables and so you you know in order to in order to be like yeah we've got 10 megawatts of power you need a gigawatt of wind and solar because the sun doesn't always shine and wind doesn't always blow um but bitcoin miners can come on and off and no problem and so there's there's a there's a way to make bitcoin mining more environmentally friendly than it is based on the power generation mix and it's financially the more logical thing to do especially if like you're looking at esg headwinds on investments so bitcoin mining is not all bad for the environment but like everything yeah it's just going to change man you got smart people in this industry you got people that are looking for the cheapest power. You got people that, like, I mean, if somebody's gonna be like, "Look, uh, we got title. Let's just make a title Bitcoin mining rig." And like, all it's gonna do, it'll cost us. Uh, one day we're gonna spend a ton of money, and then we're just gonna make money for the rest of the time. Uh, so that there's there's ways to do this, um, and uh, and it's not all bad news. And it, and I don't see environmental being the problem. Um, China kicked out all the miners, and it's really because they have a water problem. They have a shortage of water, so uh, that's that's the genesis of why they kicked out the Bitcoin miners. Well, and one of the things, I guess, when you start talking about dollars and cents, right? I mean, it sounds like from a Bitcoin mining perspective, if you're going to invest the money, and let's just say, worst case, it's like $10,000 per miner, right? If you're making a few hundred dollars per month or $500 per month, in order to get a, a somewhat um, equ equitable rate of return on staking, you probably have to outlay 50 to 100%, 50 to 100K worth of dollars um, to do that. And it's the differences with Bitcoin mining is there's a lot of tax deductible things that you could do with that 10 grand to almost make that nothing. So th there is some huge benefits to mining versus proof of stake from, a, from your own pocketbook type thing. Um, it's just it's probably a lot more difficult than what most people would would start out at right so yeah right. The, so like my friend who's looking at the immersion mining rig you know his his break even time frame you know conservative you know, based on if you think bitcoin's going to be at $100,000 at the end of the year it's really easy to get ROI on a on a mining rig but for him you know he's at like I believe it was between 12 and 18 month break even on a conservative estimate of Bitcoin price. So that's with a huge capital outlay with a immersion mining rig system, all the equipment, um, you know, rewiring stuff. I mean, it's, it's a pretty substantial investment. 12 to 18 month payback on, if you were to buy any business, right, you're typically, a multi, you're playing a multiple of three to five in small business world. Right, and if you get to big stuff, 10x on EBITDA is not a, it's not a big number anymore because everybody's got tons of money and, every, and the price goes up. So I mean, 
those are 10-year paybacks if you're not growing, right? Uh, the point is you buy the business, you grow it, so you get your payback in five years. This is a business where you don't have to have employees that don't call in sick, that don't have to take their kid to the doctor. Um, the payback's in 18 months, and it just runs. And if you are, um, if you have the conviction that Bitcoin's price is going to appreciate over time, your payback, your break even's 12 to 18 months, and it's a five-year move, then you have three and a half years of profit. And if at the end of five years you think Bitcoin's going to be in six figures, then that profit compounds because of appreciation. Um, so yeah, it's uh, there's there's definitely financial uh, there's financial reasons to get into Bitcoin mining. There's like the way we do it, the way I'm doing it, it was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I happen to have these miners that I can play with. I'm playing with them. It's kind of neat. Um, I think that's the best way for Bitcoin mining to be is more and more people doing it. Like Bitcoin's decentralized. So if 100,000 people had a Bitcoin miner running in their basement to keep it warm, that's better than one company having 100,000 miners in Texas because decentralization of the mining network is an important component to the security that the miners provide. So I'm like, is it totally uh, a moneymaker for me? It's, I mean, it's not, right? It's, it's uh, hundreds of dollars a month, right? Running several miners. Um, but like, okay, well, but I'm part of the network. Like, I'm hoping the network stays secure. Like, you know, if it's not in my basement, it'll be in a rental house. It'll be, you know, keeping something warm or whatever. So uh, there's, there's, you know, once you're in Bitcoin, man, this might this sounds crazy to people that aren't in Bitcoin, but it's like, it's kind of neat. It's a neat piece to it. That it's like, yeah, okay, I'm, I, yeah, I'm one in 500,000 people that are mining or whatever it is. You're a part of the network instead of just being in the network. Yeah, yeah. I didn't just buy Bitcoin. Yeah. yeah. No, this, this has been a really interesting conversation, and, and I know we've talked about mining in the past, and it's it's definitely something that I'm more and more intrigued about. I just haven't really taken the leap into it yet. So uh, we'll, we'll probably revisit this in the future as things progress, especially when as we hear more about the emerging mining and, and how things go. But I, I agree with you. I think this is definitely, at the end of the day, I'd love to see everybody with a miner in their basement using it as heat during the winter um, and and a passive income stream as well, right? So, cool. Well, before we head out, anything else on your end that you want to mention to everybody? I think we've covered it. I mean, I, I kind of tell these anecdotal stories and I try to kind of correlate them to what's going on uh, in more like a macro scale. Um, I think if you look at what's happening on a bigger picture, Texas is big. I mean, it, it's a it's a big mining positive state. Ted Cruz, this again, Bitcoin doesn't carry your politics, right? Um, but politics are going to start carrying if you're into Bitcoin because Texas is going positive to Bitcoin. California has been Bitcoin positive. Florida is Bitcoin positive. They're moving to like you can pay state taxes in, in Bitcoin. Um They've got a ton of solar in Florida. I could see that coming into play. But, I mean, I just it, I just named three major states in major every states. single presidential election. I mean, it's we're at 2022, so 2024 is still two years away. Like, straight up, Bitcoin is going to be a factor in presidential election in two years. So Bitcoin mining is, I mean, it's tied into all of this because it's something that, the Texas guys can do with their excess energy. Um, and this, not to be a power industry guy, but Texas's grid, they're like, the American power grid is, is split up. Texas is almost on an island when it comes to power. The, you know, a lot of states can transfer across state lines, but Texas is, is more isolated. They're not fully isolated. Um, and so to have Bitcoin mining in state, they are very uh, wind they have a ton of wind farms in Texas, and they can build more. They can justify it with Bitcoin mining, and then when they have uh, dead heat of summer, they can have excess capacity that they're paying a premium for. The Bitcoin miners shut down, 
the power goes to the grid. Or, you know, Bitcoin mining continues to go up in hash rate. There's more efficient miners. The old miners are getting kicked out because they're not efficient enough to keep up. The new miners are. These, you know, then, okay, well, the mining companies can make a decision. Well, we can sell the power back to the grid for 18 cents a kilowatt hour. We're only making 14 cents a kilowatt hour in Bitcoin mining right now. So let's sell the power into the grid. Okay, well, now we can we can shut down a natural gas uh, plant for the, for the couple of days or whatever. Um, the Bitcoin mining piece is like, you, I, w I would have never thought about this five years ago, that Bitcoin mining would have a, com a component into the power industry on a, on a statewide scale. And so, um, and then that's going to have political repercussions, which is neat for a guy like me. Who, I'm pretty apolitical. Like, I follow everything, but I, I don't, I'm, I'm led by inferiors, I feel like, and it's very difficult for me. <laughs> uh, but it's, I'm telling you, uh, Bitcoin mining's got a, Bitcoin, if you learn about Bitcoin, you can learn about anything. Like, it will get you into the power industry. It will get you into what is money. It'll get you into finance. It'll get you into economics. It'll get you into geopolitics. Like, it'll get you into personal savings and personal development, and it'll get you into nutrition. Like, Bitcoin, just figure out something you're interested in and start reading about it, and Bitcoin will get you there. It's, it's, it's a fascinating piece to this. And I think the big thing to tie all those together is, I mean, one, it's still early, right? Um, so there's still a long ways to go for this to become really mainstream. Um, and then two, it's the more we talk about this, the more opti optimistic I am about what the future and how, what it's going to hold, um, especially in terms of what crypto and Bitcoin can do. Right? No doubt. So, well, as always, Al, great chatting with you. It's great to see you face-to-face -face while we do it this time and uh, looking forward to doing this again in the future as well. Yeah, this was great. Thanks, Jason. See ya. Thanks for journeying down the crypto rabbit hole with us. If you're interested in learning more about crypto, please join our private Facebook group, Unblocking Crypto. It's a small community discussing new ideas and just asking questions to learn more. Hope to interact with you there.